find oftentimes uh, when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to truth, truth is like a two-sided coin, okay? You, you know, a coin has a heads and a tails, right? Let me ask you a question. Is the head side of the coin more coin than the tail side? No. Is the tail side of the coin more coin than the head side? No. They're both equally coin, even though they look different, even though they're different sides, okay? And so you're going to see a duality, uh, sometimes even a tension in Scripture, where you hold two truths uh, that seem like opposite sides in in equal parts. Uh, And so... uh, Absolutely, I need you to understand, God loves you. He sent his son for you. He, he, the hairs on your head are numbered. He thinks good thoughts towards you. He is not mad at you. And so in one sense, one side of the coin, uh, uh, that your faith, it is about you in that Jesus came specifically for you. But what we're doing with this series is we are flipping to the other side of the truth coin here. And we're looking at the fact that our faith cannot only be all about us, right? It has to be about more than us. We will only be happy to the degree that we are pouring out and we are giving of ourselves. God didn't save us just because we're that awesome, He saved us because he wants to partner with us to get his will and his kingdom manifest in the earth. Amen? And so you are saved with a purpose. You're saved with a purpose. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And this morning, uh, specifically, uh, we're going to talk about the concept of worshiping Mises. Y'all have heard of Jesus? You, You know the guy that is like Lord and King over everything. Yeah. Well, sometimes we replace Jesus with Mises, where we are our own king. So real quick, let me do a little bit of review here. What is religion? What have we been talking about? Well, religion is where a person's religion focuses only on themselves, only on themselves, and their spiritual disciplines cater only to their own needs. Now, spiritual disciplines are the way that we practice our faith. These are things like fasting and prayer, reading the Bible, service, things like that. So those are our spiritual disciplines. And when we do those things only to cater to our own needs, Jesus actually um, talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, when you fast, uh, don't announce it to the whole world so everyone will think how great you are, right? Because that would be catering to yourself, not to the actual prayer, the intent of the fast. Uh, And so that's what we're talking about. Now, Worshiping Mises, okay, we worship Mises instead of Jesus when we become our own God. When we become our own God. Now, immediately you probably have some sense of self-defense kick in when you read that. And you think, well, I would never worship myself. I would never set a shrine up to myself. I would never have a little statue of myself. On my mantle where I bow three times a day, right? No one does that, do they? You don't have a statue of yourself? Okay, cool. It'd be kind of funny. if you have, have Y'all seen the fat head sticker things? They're called fat heads that you put on your walls. You know, usually like a sports figure. It'd be cool to get one made of yourself and just, boom, stick it on the wall. Scare everyone in the middle of the night when they get up for water or whatever. But so... Yeah, we wouldn't like literally burn incense, write songs about how great we are, right? 
We, w- we wouldn't do that. But in our decisions and in our day-to-day activity, many times we actually do end up being our own focal point, being the, our own object of our affection. And we don't want to do that, do we? We, we don't want to worship Jesus. We want to worship Jesus. This is also known as the concept of humanism. This is known as the concept of self-idolatry. Idolatry says, I believe this person, place, or thing, animal, vegetable, mineral, whatever this thing is, and we'll talk about what can be an idol in a moment, but I believe that this thing can do a better job satisfying the longings of my heart than God can. That's what an idol is. An idol can be an inanimate object. It can be another person. Okay? It can be a concept of how you feel people think about you. Your reputation can be an idol. Okay? All these different things can be an idol uh, if and when they begin to substitute for the Lord. Okay? So we're going to study, and you can turn to Exodus 32. I'm going to read this kind of a long passage. It's going to be in the New Living Translation where I'm going to read it. Okay? And I would love for you to follow along. If you don't have that translation, you can just listen for a moment. Uh, and this is the story of... Um, when, the, when the, the children of Israel have been delivered from Egypt, all right, slavery, 400 years, all right, bad stuff, bad times in their history. And so finally, God raises up a deliverer by the name of Moses, all right, and through a series of, of crazy miracles, uh, plagues, all sorts of stuff, uh, the Hebrew people are let go from the bondage of slavery. They cross the Red Sea, you know, the sea parts, y'all have heard that. Uh, and, and then they, they, on the other side of the Red Sea, stuff kind of begins to fall apart for them, <laughs> okay? And so we're going to pick up what has happened at this point, just so you know, for context, before we start reading. What has happened at this point is the Ten Commandments have already been given, okay? God descends on this mountain, scares the mess out of everyone, they're all like, whoa, Moses, you go ahead, buddy. We're not interested in getting too close, right? So, so God, God descends on the mountain, scares them really badly. Uh, he come, Moses comes back down with the Ten Commandments, essentially, and they, it's ratified. They say, we agree, we're going to do this, all right? Then Moses goes back up, and he gets all these instructions on how to build, like the tabernacle, how to have, like, priests, how to keep the Sabbath. It's like the details um, of the law that the Israelites are supposed to keep. All right, he's gone for around 40 days. That's kind of a long time for your leader to be gone, right? 40 days. And so this is where we pick up. It's, it's Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother, okay? He's who he left in command when he went up. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, okay, here's what you do. Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears, brought them to Aaron. Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. Okay? Now, that, that wasn't like a one-day affair. That took a long time to do. This was premeditated. This wasn't accidental. It's not like, whoops, this gold fell into the fire, and oh, it's a calf, right? Like, it, it, it took time. It took intent, all right? So he did this on purpose. He, he took the gold, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron saw how excited the people were. 
So he built an altar in front of the calf. Now, an altar is meant for worship, right? Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Now, the Lord here is the name, the proper name of God, Yahweh. Okay? It's, 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 you need to understand something. The children of Israel weren't attempting to worship a God other than their own. They were simply incorrectly worshiping their own God. There's a big difference in there. It's not like they were going back to the pagan Egyptian gods and trying to worship them. They were simply trying to worship Yahweh, but because of fear, because of impatience, because of misunderstanding, because of a lack of knowledge, they made a really, really bad decision. So he announces a festival. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. With this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. So I'm not going to get too gross on this, but that's called a euphemism. A euphemism is when you say something that's not quite what it really means to kind of make it not seem so bad. You all know what I'm talking about, okay? Pagan revelry, all right, this, this party, this wild party, like devolved into like a nasty, crazy party, okay? Where all sorts of really bad stuff, including sexual immorality, started to happen, okay? Just so you know. So it wasn't like... God, God's about to get hacked here, okay? But it's not like he's like, man, you aren't allowed to listen to that music. No, like there's some really bad, nasty stuff going on here, okay? So verse 7, the Lord t- told Moses, who was up on the mountain receiving instructions, quick, go down the mountain, your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt. That's hilarious. <laughs> your people, right? It's like when the kids mess up, <laughs> you know, your son did this, all right? Well, that's what God was doing. Your people who you brought from Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf. And they bowed down and sacrificed to it. They were saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. And I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Whoa, God is hacked, right? He's so mad, he's like, okay, the children of Abraham, all right, in hindsight, I'm, I'm pretty hacked right now. Tell you what, Moses, we're going to start over with you. You'll be the father of many nations. We're going to wipe out all these guys, and we're going to start again with your lineage. That, that would sound like a pretty good idea to me. I'd be like, yeah, sweet, I want to be a father of many nations, all right. But Moses doesn't do that. He tried to pacify the Lord. He goes, oh, Lord, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such a great power and strong hand? Remember all the plagues? He really showed off. Why let the Egyptians say God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them off the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster that you've threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven, and I will give them all of this land I promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Look, just a side note, this has nothing to do with this sermon. Prayer changes things. I, I, I saw fairly recently someone said, uh, quoted another person, they said, prayer doesn't change God, prayer changes you. Okay? That's true, that prayer changes you. That one of the reasons God calls us to pray is to spend time with him so that we are adjusted and changed to his image and conform to his will. Absolutely. But scripture, as we just read, 
states over and over and over and over that the Lord has made himself on purpose subject to our prayer life. If you don't believe me, read James 5 where it says that, that, uh, that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. All right? And some of you are like, what? Yeah, look, look, God has made himself subject to our prayers. You see it all throughout Scripture. It doesn't ruin the sovereignty of God. It doesn't mess with him being God. It doesn't mean that we're God. He's still God. He gets to do what he wants to, and he's decided to partner with us. We actually preached a, a series on this uh, called Interactivity not too long ago where we discovered how our relationship with the Lord is interactive. And so I just want to let you know that, that we, we have a role in the outcome of humanity and the outcome of what happens in this life. The Lord allowed himself to be swayed by someone close to him. Verse 15, so Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back, and these tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, because Joshua was with Moses, it sounds like war in the camp, but Moses replied, no, it's not a shout of victory or the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of celebration. Verse 19, when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets down to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. We'll pick up the rest of the story in a little bit. But but these Israelites were having a bad decision day, okay? We've all had them, right, where you make bad decisions. They were making a really bad decision. What was happening is because of their fear, because of their impatience, because of whatever, they were going back to what they knew. See, remember, before you judge too harshly the Israelites, they had spent 400 years in Egyptian captivity. 400 years, okay? What they knew for generations and generations and generations was the gods of the Egyptians. This is how they worship. This is what they do. They make cows out of gold. So when things got tough for them, they panicked and they said, we're going to go back to what we know, which is worshiping golden calves. Now, surely you guys don't have a golden calf in your, ha- in your home somewhere. But you have a checkbook that you might want to worship. You have a TV guide on your screen that you might want to worship, right? You, we have all different sorts of things that we tend to worship. And when the going gets tough, we actually elevate ourselves into the role of Jesus becoming Mises because any sort of idolatry at its base is worshiping ourselves. If you turn to a substance, including food, to comfort you, and you make that thing an idol, you, in effect, are making yourself your own God. And so we don't want to do that, okay? We don't want to do that. Let, let, me, let me tell you what the big deal is about idols. It, it, idols hurt us. Uh, I'm going to turn here. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And again, this is kind of a long passage. Um, so if you don't have the New Living Translation, uh, you can just listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's reminding us of what we just read. He's reminding the Christians of what we just read. He said, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual water, for they drank of the spiritual uh, rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. 
By the way, the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus. Um, that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us, so that we would not crave evil things as they did, nor worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. We just read that. And we must not engage in sexual immorality, as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. This was not a good trip. (laughs) Goodness. Man, we think it's a bad trip if we lose our luggage, right? Or if the kid won't stop crying. This was like snake bites and all sorts of stuff happening, right? This was not the best Best trip. These things happened as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of this age, in this dispensation of grace, those who follow Jesus. And here's the warning. Verse 12, here's the warning. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. In other words, you will be tempted like the Israelites were. In the same ways, you will be tempted to make yourself your own God. You will be tempted in idolatry. But God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So my friends, flee from the worship of idols. Now, we're specifically talking about worshiping ourselves, making ourselves the God of our own life. But it says here, flee from the worship of idols. Flee. We don't, we don't use that word flee very often, do we? Yeah, I, I fled. You know, we don't say that. But fleeing is not like walking up to something and being like, huh, wow, that's, look at that right there. That's interesting. I guess I shouldn't touch that. That's not fleeing. Fleeing is like running in stark terror. It's like, ah, ah. I mean, it's like getting away as fast as you can from that thing, right? That's fleeing. So if we know that we have a tendency like the Israelites to set ourselves up as our own God, we have to pay a lot of attention. we got to start running. We have to start running and say, oh, my gosh, I don't want the same thing to happen to me. I don't want the same thing to happen to me. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the first thing is that idols, idols, they hurt us. They hurt us. See, God created the world. He knows how it works. And he knows that we make a very poor God. I'm a really bad God. I, you could say I stink at being God. I make really bad decisions. <laughs> I have a flesh nature just like you do, right? I'm really good at worshiping God when I allow myself to. But my nature, my tendency is not to be God. My, my tendency is to need a God. All right? That's how I was created. God is the only one who's fit to help us, to lead us, to satisfy us, and to save us. Imagine, imagine if you had a close uh, friend, and, and, and they, were, they just seemed to have the perfect marriage. They were, you know, everything looks great. They were just perfectly matched. Like, this is just the perfect marriage. And then you saw the dude out with another lady one night, Taking her to dinner, whining her and dining her. You'd be like, what, what are you doing? Well, this is, uh, this is my girlfriend. Why? But you're married. Yeah, well, I'll take my wife out too. What? And then, and then you, you look at the lady that he's with. It's like she's, 
nowhere near comparable to the awesome wife that he has. But we do that whenever we practice idolatry. We're substituting the best Lord and Savior, the best lover of our souls we could possibly have found in the Lord for something that doesn't measure up. Idols hurt us. The other problem is this, is that what you worship will determine your quality of life. What you worship will determine what kind of person you're going to be. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we see and reflect the glory of God. And, the, and God, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we're changed in his glorious image. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture. We see and reflect. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. Whatever you take on, whatever you worship, you will turn into that thing. Proverbs 23.7 says, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So whatever your thoughts, your intentions, your affections, whatever those things are, you will become what you behold. And the other problem is this, that anything can be an idol. There's not like, when we're looking at the problems with idols, it's that anything can become an idol. Psalm 106, 19 and 20, it just puts it so plainly, talking about this moment in Exodus. It says, they, the Israelites, traded their glorious God, their glorious God, for a statue of a grass-eating bull. That's a bad choice. That's a bad substitution. In that case, a grass-eating bull was substituted for the glorious God in heaven. Look, anything can be an idol. And, and the better it is, family members, children, spouses, jobs, the, the better it is, the more potential it has to be an idol. You know? So, so it's, it's a big deal. We cannot become our own idols. So I want to spend the rest of our time really quickly how to remove an idol. How to remove an idol, okay? And it's three steps. It's recognize, repent, and replace. And we're going to go back to Exodus 32 here real quick. We, we, we stopped at verse 19 and it said, you know, he was angry. He threw down the tablets. He smashed them. Verse 20, Exodus 32, 20. Then Moses took the calf that they had made and he burned it. Then he ground it into powder. He threw it into the water and forced the people to drink it. Seems a little, that seems a little harsh to me, right? He was actually making sure that the Israelites defiled the contents of the idol so they could never use it again. I'll let you figure out what that means, defiling, because it passed through their body. Okay? All right? But here's the thing. He, he gave a specific answer to that specific idol. All right. So if he had a take if he would have taken a hammer to the gold, it could have dented it, it would have made it not look so great, but it wouldn't have destroyed it. Because how do you how do you destroy gold? With fire. Right? And so the first the first way that we get rid of an idol. So if if you're worshiping Mises, if you're worshiping yourself, if you sit on the throne of your own heart this morning, you've got to recognize that melting is what you do to gold specifically, and we have to get to the root of the idols in our own lives. We have to get to those roots. You know, imagine imagine if you're in a boat and, and, and you're you're fishing, all of a sudden you recognize that the boat's taken on water. And thankfully, you have a bucket, and, and you, start, you start, you know, uh, just dishing out that water and, and pouring it back into the lake, but it keeps coming and coming. I mean, you're keeping yourself from sinking temporarily, but really what you should do is find the source where the water's coming from and plug up the hole. So, so water doesn't keep coming in. Do you follow me? 
In the same way, when, when we, we tend to worship ourselves, we have to get to the root. What is going on in my life that is causing this symptom of idolatry? What's going on? What is the root? We have to learn to recognize what these idols are. The second thing is we have to repent. Once we recognize what's happening, in our, we are making ourselves into our own God. We are worshiping Jesus. Once we do that, we have to repent. Now, Exodus um, 33, 4, the next chapter over, uh, it says something interesting. God comes down. He says, man, he actually delivers a punishment. And this punishment is that he will not personally go with them and accompany them to the land that he promised. And it says, when the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. Isn't that interesting? Now, what did they use to get in trouble to begin with? That gold jewelry. Now, could they have continued to wear gold jewelry and not make a calf out of it? Yes. But in their state of repentance, they took it out. They took everything off. And they said, I don't want to get close. They said, I'm going to flee idolatry. They repented. See, repentance means if you're going one direction and it's apart from God, you adjust your course, you find where the Lord is, where is he, he's here. And then you begin to walk in that course. You change your heart, change your mind, and change your actions. And so they repented. Look, if you've been worshiping, if you've been your own God, if you've been worshiping yourself this morning, if you've been offering worship to Mises, you got to repent. You got to recognize it. You got to repent. And then, lastly, the last thing that we have to do is you have to replace that idol with something else. Now, the children of Israel did that in Exodus 34 1. After their repentance, after all this happened, it says, Then the Lord told Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets that you smashed. And he recreated. Now, we don't, thankfully, we don't live under the law. Back then, the law is all they had. So the Lord replaced, um, he, 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 replaced in, in, he, he replaced their idolatry with the smashed tablets with a new set of tablets. Okay? It, today, in the dispensation of grace, when it comes to Jesus, right, who has fulfilled the law for us, we replace idolatry in our life where we worship ourselves. We replace that with worship of him. Giving our lives to him completely. Saying that, Lord, you are Lord. You are boss. You are king. You are everything I need. And I lay down my life for you. And that's how we get rid of an idol. That's how we get rid of an idol. And so my question to you guys is, are you worshiping Mises? Have you been sitting on the throne of your heart? When you make decisions, are you only consulting yourself? Are you looking to yourself for your redemption? Are you looking to yourself for, for guidance in your life? Is your faith all about you? Let's stand for prayer.